Hey, Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of the Damn Podcast. I'm your host, Angie Machado, and with me is BeaverBlitz.com beat writer, Carter Baines, and we are one week away from kickoff. Carter, how are you? I'm great. I'm, I'm really excited for the first real game week that we've had in, well, almost two years now, because I mean, last year, of course, we did, we did have game weeks, but it just had a totally different feel to it, whereas this year. Um, you know, I, I, I turned on the TV for week zero and, and watched live football, saw fans and stands. And uh, I think there's just a little bit more energy around college football this year. And I can, I can definitely feel it a little bit. And um, yeah, I'm just I, I'm pumped to be able to have like a full a full week, go sit in the media room on Monday and um, kick things off the way the way it should be. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking back. So two years ago, I think it was this opening weekend. Weren't you in Hawaii for that opening game? I was, yeah. Was that the first week of the season? No, because they played Oklahoma State oh, the first you're right. week. Okay, so second, second week. week, second week, or actually, now that I think of it, it might have been the third week because I think they had an FCS opponent in between there. Maybe I don't know. Regardless, I was yeah. in Hawaii. Though. You were in Hawaii. Did you catch any of the Hawaii U, uh, UCLA game this weekend? I did, uh, and I have to think that Oregon State is probably looking forward to that game against Hawaii after seeing. Uh, the, uh, you know, the, the debacle that happened at, at the Rose Bowl. Yeah. So we'll get, we'll get onto that. That was kind of a fun little hot take there for a second, but we have a full, full show. Um, Carter did not have practice to cover this weekend. So um, at first kind of full weekend that you had off. So that had to be a little nice, but now I have a full podcast lineup. Um, we are going to get into talk about that final week of fall camp. We're going to talk depth chart predictions because I do believe tomorrow when Coach Smith meets Coach Smith meets with the media in the media room, you'll, you will receive that uh, official depth chart, which you can read into that as much as you want. And we know that we'll see some things that maybe aren't completely the case, but um, that is definitely something we want to talk about today. Offense, defense, quarterback, um, and then a ton of blitzers. It was, it was the damn question last week. A ton of people wanted predictions. So Carter, I hope you're ready. And I hope you brought your a game because I have a whole slew of questions and predictions to ask you about how you think the season will go. And then we're going to wrap it up with a game by game prediction of the 2021 season for the Beavers, a win loss. You and I will just talk back and forth about each game, what we think will happen. It'll be the big prognostication season preview. Um, And if you aren't a member of beaverblitz.com, now is the chance to join. Definitely get on um, before those. Actually, now is a great time to join and catch up on all of Carter's amazing practice reports from fall camp. Uh, Camp has been shut down to the media now. So this is your chance to kind of read up on, know who's been practicing, who hasn't, who's been injured, all of the nitty gritty that you're not going to find anywhere else we have in the lodge. So join Beaver Blitz, join our discussion in our family, but let's just dive right into Purdue week here. This is, uh, like you said, first real football game week, um, fans in the stands, all of that. Who stood out to you? Now let's just kind of recap fall camp though, looking as a whole, and maybe looking at this past week, who are your standouts? Who after, if you look at the body of three weeks of practice, who in your mind really stood out? Well, I'll start with the the product as a whole and then maybe kind of touch on some of the week three standouts at the end. But um, I think overall, you have to point to Luke Musgrave, first of all, just the the transformation that he's made in the weight room and on the field over the past few months, I think is it's it's hard to deny that he is at least in the top three as far as just most improved all around player. Um, We know that he came to Oregon State with you know, with a great physical build and with a lot of ability as a receiver. And he kind of showed some of that last year as he had somewhat of a breakout year, but going into 2021, I think he is primed for just a a massive year as, as a receiver, as, as a tight end, but also in the blocking game. I think the physical transformation that he has made is going to do wonders for him really in both elements of a tight ends game. Uh, Outside of that, Rajon Wright, 
uh, we, we talked a lot of bit about a lot of him in in the spring because uh, that was really his breakout you know kind of kind of when he showed his big breakout but what stood out to me in the fall from Wright was that um, he proved that his spring camp performance was just who he is now. Uh, because if you remember at the end of last year, when he came in in that ASU game at the very end of the year, that was really the first we had seen of him. Um, his, his stats at the end of the year, I think he had like three tackles. Yeah. He's, he's probably going to take the biggest step in terms of statistical production of anybody on this roster this year. I could see him, potentially leading the team in turnovers, uh, turnovers forced, that is. I, I could see him finishing near the team in tackles as a corner, really. I mean, he's just – he's an all-around playmaker and um, and somebody that really, I think, made a ton of progress over the offseason. So if I if I had to pick one breakout on both sides of the ball, that's where I'd go. Gotcha. Okay. Um, anybody that you wanted – that you expected more from in fall camp? That's a good question. I, I would say just in general – the second team offensive line. Okay. I, you know, I, I've been very high on the depth of that group. Uh, Coach Mahalachuk has done just a commendable job building that group from not necessarily from the ground up when he got here, but I, I think he has really turned it around um, and, and brought in a ton of talent at pretty much every position on that line. Uh, but the second team O line really, I thought, struggled in, in camp with penalties. Um, with pocket pressure, I mean, it, there was there was a lot of rotation in terms of you know you had some guys playing up with the ones on certain days and maybe that brings in some threes into that group. But uh, when the first team group was on the sidelines, I think that the offense took a step backward, and that was not really something that I expected going into camp. So uh, I, I guess you know Oregon State fans have to hope that there's no injuries on, on the O line, but. I do think that there are some very good individual pieces of depth in that group. You know, if you bring up a Corbin Sorensen to fill in for a guard spot, um, or if you bring in a Marco Brewer to fill in a tackle, you know, you're not going to see a big drop off in production. It's just, if you had multiple guys sitting out, that's when I would start to get concerned. Well, that, that brings up a good point because that's my next, my next question to you is as a whole, the whole team, how is the injury situation looking you know, as you've seen any long-term, I know, I know coach Smith hates talking about injuries. Um, but you know, what, where are we at injury wise right now? Offensively, there's really not a whole lot to be concerned about. Um, obviously the, the longer term things that we've known about for a while, Ben Goldbranson out with the shoulder injury. Um, but really that's it on the offensive side and Ellie Bloomfield, I, I mentioned the, the lack of second team offensive line production. I think his absence, uh, might have something to do with that and getting him back for the regular season would be a big, a big depth addition because he is one of those guys that I think could be a first off the bench type of player for that. Is, is he expected back? We, we have not heard a word about his injury. So okay. we actually, that's completely undisclosed at this point. Um, but one on the offensive line that we do know about is Taliesa Fuaga who has a foot and or ankle injury. We, we didn't get confirmation, but he's wearing a boot okay. in practice. We saw him go down. Um, I, I want to say it was this past Wednesday. Yeah. I was going to say that injury Wednesday. seems like a longer term injury. And then Tristan Jebbia, of course, missed the second scrimmage of fall camp uh, with, I guess, soreness is, is all that we really know there, whether it's general soreness I would have to believe that it is related to the hamstring that he tore against Oregon last year. Um, but as it stands, that is just a soreness thing. And we, we don't know his status going into week one. We assume that coach Smith will tell coach Smith will tell us on Monday. Okay. So how concerned are you? Um, let's, let's talk a little Jebbia right now, because, you know, here's the last year's starting quarterback goes down with that big injury was back for most of the first part of fall camp. Now, I mean, they held him out, but Friday, that week they held him out Saturday scrimmage saying it was just soreness. They just wanted to give him an extra couple days rest. And then we didn't see him the rest of last week. How concerned are you that, he, that this is more serious than just a little soreness? Well, I, I do think that it has to be a little bit bigger than they let on at first. Uh, just the fact that you've got a guy who's competing for the starting quarterback job missing probably the most important let's call it five or six days of practice of his career, potentially. 
Um, you know, this opportunity for him to lock up a starting job for a full 12 game season and he's not out there practicing. I have a hard time believing that that's just mild soreness. If, if you know what I mean, like, I, I just think that somebody of, of that competitive nature at that important of a position in that heated of a position competition, um, if, if it's a minor injury, he's, he's out there on the practice field. Uh, so I, I, like I said, I guess we'll find out more this week from, from coach Smith for all we know, he could be practicing this weekend. So we will, uh, we'll have to wait and see on that one, but before we move on, let's just kind of, you know, jump around and, and, and touch on some of these injuries on the defensive side. Yeah, Cause yeah. I think that's, that's where most of the concern lies injury wise. Um, you know, of, of course, Isaac Hodgins broke, we assume broke his foot earlier. He's had surgery. Cause he did have surgery. Um, Jonathan Riley's out with a torn ACL that he suffered in the spring. Elijah Jones injured his foot in camp. Sounds like he's going to miss a couple of weeks. According to coach Smith, Jaden Robinson injured his shoulder in the second scrimmage. And that's going to be a longer term thing. He hasn't been at practice. Um, he's gotten multiple MRIs and uh, coach Smith is not too optimistic about a quick return there. John McCartan at outside linebacker with a longer-term hamstring injury hasn't practiced at all since maybe the second or third day of camp so he's uh he's someone that you shouldn't expect to be back anytime soon uh and then there are a couple of guys jojo forrest brian nithalangsi shane katie Cade brownholtz all missed time down the stretch of camp Keontae shad will miss the first week most likely although he is nearing a return we have seen him a lot more at practice um in a limited fashion, but I, I think it, anytime you see a guy return in, in some capacity, it's, it's time to be a little optimistic about their timeline. Sione Lolohea had a knee injury. He, uh, he missed the last week and a half or so of camp. Big loss for the D line again on, on top of the, on top of the Shad and Hodgins injuries, because he was a true freshman that I saw potentially competing for some meaningful playing time. And we, uh, and we then, know how that we haven't heard if that's a season right? No, we, we don't know on that one. It's uh, coach Tibisar made it sound like he could be back sooner rather than later, but okay. we don't have a timeline. Okay. Uh, and then Alton Julian is, well, I, I guess let's touch on Addison gums. I think he's going to be okay. Um, he, he was just kind of limited throughout camp multiple times with what it sounds like are either super minor injuries or just, you know, held up for precaution. Uh, but then Alton Julian is, is the last one that is, is notable. That's a potential starter in the defensive backfield at safety who really didn't go for the last week or so of camp. Okay. So, um, but Jaden Grant's back. I, a couple names that when you, when you said them and I, I knew them, but when you said them again, it just, it, it kind of rang a little bell. Like the first one was Jaden, Jaden Robinson. He yeah. was having monster camp. So hopefully it's not super long-term for him because, um, he was probably one of the guys I was most excited to see this fall. Uh, Sione, Lolo Hea, uh, another one that foot injuries are scary because you just don't know how quickly they can heal uh, blood flow, all of that. So, um, and especially on the D line. And, yeah, and that's, yeah. I think the concern with Hodgins too, you know, these are, these are bigger guys who put a lot of stress on their feet every single day when they're on the football field, because uh, you know, running around at that, at that size, that, that puts a lot of stress on, on that injury. And we've seen it hold guys out, especially on the defensive side, Anja, who's Murray deal, dealt with it. David Morris medically retired. Obviously I know he had uh, other injuries as well, but he did have a foot injury at one time. So these are things that we have seen impact the Beavers defense before. And uh, you just hope for the best because there's really no knowing how long a foot injury is going to hold a guy out. It's very similar to the hamstring in, in yeah. football. Those are the two that when I see those are, what somebody's dealing with, I think, okay, this could turn into a longer term deal. Yeah. Yeah. So great reporting there. Um, like I said, offensively, Travon Bradford missed a few, I know down the stretch is that, um, I know coach Smith said, you know, before camp even started that guys like Addison and um, Trayvon and some of the, the veteran guys, they would hold out precaution, you know, on precautions. Do you think that was more precaution with him or, uh, is Trayvon dealing with anything? Yeah, I would lean toward the, the cautionary side okay. on that one. Um, he did wear a non-contact jersey earlier in the week. I want to say about three days of practice down the stretch here, but um, actually on the last day of camp, he was back to, to full contact and 
um, he was out there, you know, good to go. So I, I think he's probably at or near a hundred percent going into week one. Okay. Well, I, I guess I, as, as a, you know, Bieber fans out there might be shaking their head right now with that, I, I, <laughs> that kind of downer news, but remember every football team in the com- country right now is dealing with injuries. It, it doesn't matter who you are. It's now who steps up and, and who battles battles for that. And, position. And as we were running through that, I, I realized it, it. I felt like I was rambling a little bit just with the amount of time I spent going down the, <laughs> down the line. But um, yeah, you know, that, that happens, that happens yeah. in fall camp and it's really, I don't think there are any more injuries this year than there have been in the past for Oregon state. At least it's just, I, I think the one concerning thing this year is just the, the fact that so many of them are at the key position of need at D line, you know, if, if those three injuries were, let's say, spread across wide receiver, running back, and linebacker, we wouldn't be as concerned. But the fact that you've got potentially three key contributors going down with substantial injuries at, at that that position, I think that's where my concern comes from. Yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, especially, like I said, that was our number one hugest question heading into the season is defensive line. And then you have three guys that were either standouts or true veterans um, or guys that were expected. And, and, you know, that's, we, we talk about it every week. It seems like, you know, recruiting and that's where recruiting comes into play is that you need to have the guys ready to go back up, you know, that are just as talented that can go and fill in. So um, definitely a position to watch these first couple games. Um, final thoughts from fall camp, Carter, it's been a while since you've actually got to sit and watch an entire fall camp. What closing thoughts on, uh, on this year's fall camp. Yeah, this is the longest practice schedule I think that we've actually seen in person since the summer of 2019. So um, you'll notice a lot of things we say this year. It's the first time we've done this and this and this since 2019. But um, 18 practices in total that we saw in person, that's that's a lot. So I do have a a handful of thoughts here that I kind of jotted down before we came on. Um, So first of all, I I just want to preface that, you know, camp takeaways should be taken with a grain of salt you're seeing the same players play against their own team every day for 18 days. Um, but compared to last year, I, I think that's how you can kind of, that's how you can pinpoint where the team is, is different when you compare it to where this exact group was at this time last year. And what I, what I've seen is improvement in the secondary for one, there's more depth there, there's more talent. And I think if you asked any coach on this roster, and any other media member covering the team, this secondary is the best that Oregon State has had under Coach Smith. And that's saying a lot because, you know, last year you had Sean Wright and Isaiah Dunner both in the NFL. Um, but the guys that they brought in in the JUCO ranks a couple of years ago are, are really starting to come into their own. Uh, the addition of Elijah Jones, who I know is injured, but um, when he's out there, he's a starter. You know, th- those are key additions. At, at wide receiver and running back, I think the depth – is, is also obvious there, just the amount of playmakers and, and talent that you see with the first team, with the second team, and even into the third team. Uh, there are guys on the third team offense at the skill positions that could push for a starting job on a lot of teams in this conference. So if, if an injury happens at those positions, like I said earlier, you know, you never want injuries to happen, but that's where you could really afford it. Um, I, I also mentioned the the second team offensive line struggles. That was a note that I made. Uh, and then just in general, returning players across the board just look a lot better uh, tactically and also stronger. Um, you know, Luke Musgrave was was a guy that I pointed to earlier in the in the pod, and that's the kind of development that I've seen from players at every single position on this roster. So, uh, the, the year of the super senior, twenty twenty one. I think that's. At, at a school like Oregon State, where you're only losing a couple of players to the draft, it's going to do wonders to bring everybody back with another year of experience, another year of weight room under their belt. Um, and then and then lastly, just heading into the season, maybe a, maybe my hot take from fall camp, um, but, but I think it's fair to say that this is Jonathan Smith's best team at Oregon State by a noticeable margin. Okay, good to know. Okay, so after that whole Deb, Debbie Downer uh injury report it is now we come we bounce back so uh very awesome carter was at all but two practices guys seriously and and you were there for the the two that i missed and i was there so we i think we were the only media that did not miss an entire practice 
the whole time. So that's correct. Kudos to you, Carter. Awesome job. It's a grind. We made it. We made it. We made it. Yeah. Um, it was, it was okay. a long, it was a long, but fun three weeks. Yes. Yes. It, fall camp's always fun. It's the nice weather. Although you got some really hot weather there. Um, yeah. And just that Those excitement, like you days. said, there, there's that buzz in the air, even when school's not in session yet, it's still, there's some excitement there. Um, okay. So we're going to talk, you've already broken this down for us on blitz, your predictions on depth chart. And I suspect that by the time some people are listening to this pod, because I believe probably in the next 18 hours, we'll have the depth chart for the week. But um, so it might be old news by then, but I do think it's worth talking about the depth chart a little bit, especially at some of these positions. Um, We talked a little bit about Jebbia, but let's talk about that quarterback because I think it's, it's, you know, if you would have asked me two weeks ago when we talked, I thought it was between Jebbia and Neuer. Well, then Chance Nolan has been making this big push. Um, you have Sam Vidlack, the true freshman that has a huge arm. I, and I don't, nothing against Sam. I think ideally you want to, you want to redshirt him. So just talk about, let, let's just start with Chance Nolan. He played a couple games last season, came in in that, that um, Oregon game. What are his strengths and what are his weaknesses? Athleticism and level-headedness are the, the two strengths that come to mind you know he's a very even keeled football player he's he's not an emotional player who's going to get caught up in the moment um he's gonna he's gonna go in there and he's gonna give you everything he's got um and and, you know whether that's a a turnover on a deep ball or a 50-yard gain with his legs you know he's kind of one of those boomer bust players so to speak Um, but that's you know that's not a knock on his game at all that's just the athleticism that he brings to the field kind of lends itself to this really interesting um, this really interesting play style that I yeah, think can yeah. give you a lot of things, but it can also create some problems. And so it makes me think of something I saw, heard. I don't know if you watched any of it, but I was watching the Alcorn State, um, North Carolina Central game last night, and they were talking um, to Alcorn State's coach, and they were talking that they tell the quarterback he has to have the, the memory of a goldfish. And I, I, I think that kind of fits chance just because I think, like you said, he is so even keel that they, they want when a guy makes a mistake or, you know, they had a guy get sacked, their quarterback got sacked and it was a scoop and score that they need to completely forget about that for the time being, forget it. So I, I see, I see chance being that guy. Yeah. And you know, the weaknesses in his game are what we saw last year with the accuracy, with the. I don't want to say inability to throw a deep ball because we did see him connect on a couple of them, but I think just the consistency there, that's where the next step in his development lies. And the reason that we're talking about him as a potential starting quarterback is because he did make strides in those categories down the stretch of camp. And especially in this, in the, this last week with Tristan Jebby on the sideline, Nolan comes in and takes half of the reps with the ones and he looked like the quarterback we expected to see when he committed out of Saddleback. So if, if he really has arrived, if these you know last 12 months on campus are what it took for him to kind of adjust to the FBS level, uh, he could very well be the starting quarterback when Coach Smith announces it tomorrow. Hopefully. We hope. Yeah, we hope. We hope. I should say. How about Sam Neuer? Same, same thing. I mean, we haven't seen as much from him in orange and black, but um, you know, strengths and weaknesses for him. The strengths are experience and leadership for one, you know, this is a sixth year guy. I know that he doesn't have a ton of starting experience at quarterback, uh, but he's been a PAC 12 level quarterback for now six years. Uh, and, And with that comes experience with that comes leadership and what we saw last year when he did finally get some, you know, meaningful time as a starting quarterback in this conference is true game-changing dual threat ability. Uh, what he did with his legs last year at Colorado is it's very impressive. And I think probably the number one reason he was an all pack 12 caliber quarterback. Uh, Cause when you look at some of the weaknesses, you question, you question the completion percentage, you question the turnovers last year. Um, and, and I think that's where the legs, you know, what he did on the run kind of picked up, uh, you know, it, it mitigated, I'll say the, the downsides of his game. 
but I think a lot of that can be attributed to the shoulder injury that he suffered down the stretch last year. And I think if he is fully healthy, which it, you know, by all indications, he's hundred percent now, uh, that's an area that I think we can see him really thrive in now is, is picking up, picking up on his consistency. And, and I, I think he's in a very similar situation as chance Nolan. They have a lot of the same strengths, a lot of the same weaknesses, and they're both starting to kind of put it together now. Okay. So now Jebbia, let's say he's completely healthy and ready to go. Where does, where does he fit in the mix? Uh, that's, I wish I knew. I, I, I really wish I knew because Going into fall camp, I was under the assumption that Tristan Jebbia and Sam Neuer were battling for the, the quarterback job and that Jebbia was going to have the upper hand because he had more time in the system. Now that he's missed almost half of fall camp, you really have to question where he stands on the depth chart for week one, because if he's healthy, does he get the nod over somebody who practiced almost twice as much as he did? Who knows? Did, did, he, mean, did he separate himself when he was healthy? I mean, that's the question. Did he separate himself when he was in enough to mitigate the fact that he missed half of fall camp? And, and I don't think he did. And, and that's why I see this really as a three-man quarterback competition entering week one of, of the season. And I mean, I can't remember the last time we had a three-man quarterback competition in general at Oregon State, but let alone leading into week one, uh, if, if Jebby is healthy, skill-wise and experience-wise, he has to be in the mix, you know, like he is a starting caliber quarterback on this team. Don't get me wrong. But the fact that he did miss so much time, I, I don't see that. I I don't see how somebody who missed the last five plus practices of of camp, just stepping into the starting role right away. Yeah. You know, what, what, what does that, what does that tell the other quarterbacks who were there and who did perform at a high level over the last week or so? Yeah. How about then, in your opinion, you have two freshmen in Ben Goldbranson who is out for this year, and then Sam Vidlak. Where do they fit talent-wise from what you've seen? From a pure talent perspective, well, I, I'll start with Vidlak because he's the one that I've seen the most recently. Vidlak, I, I think, has, from a raw skill perspective, I think he has the most talent upside of any quarterback on this roster, just his arm strength. Um, his ability to throw on the run, that little sidearm thing yeah. that he does. I mean, he just has his arsenal as, as a quarterback is just so wide and so refined for someone of his age that I really have a hard time seeing anyone outside of him being the future of this quarterback room. I, I truly think that he is the future of this offense. Uh, but with Goldbrinson, I mean, if he was healthy going into this season, I would say that he was as he was as entrenched in the quarterback competition as anybody else. And that's a testament to his, his arm strength and his accuracy and his kind of leadership element as a true freshman last year, Uh, just how much he showed us in his small sample size last year, on top of the fact that he did have an entire spring camp to develop even further. Um, He he would have been right there in the mix if he was healthy. So I, I don't think he plays much if, if at all this year, just because he will get back to full health so late in the season. But I mean, he's going to be battling with Vidlak next year as, as one of the potential young guys who could make that leap to the one or two spot on the depth chart. Yeah. I mean, that I, I, I just wanted to get your opinion because what I've seen of those two between spring and fall, huge upside, huge. Um, Okay. So depth chart wise, I, I don't know if we really need to go through play or position by position because we've kind of done that the past couple weeks, but any position that might surprise people on like depth chart. In terms of personnel, I, I don't think it'll be a surprise at running back to see, you know, whoever's out there with, with the starters. I don't think the name will shock people. I think what might come as a surprise to some Beaver fans is just the amount of running backs you see. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is going to be a committee. That's pretty much we have pretty much received confirmation there from the coaches that you're not going to see the prototypical Oregon State. You know, this guy is going to get 30 carries a game and, and rush for 1,500 yards per year. That's that's just not what you're going to get this year. A look for a committee of Deshaun Fenwick, B.J. Baylor, Trey Lowe, and then one or two of Isaiah Newell, Teron Madison. I mean, you really could see five running backs take the field in, in a given game. And that's, 
I, I think that might come as a surprise to some people who may not have followed this this competition as closely as others. Um, offensively, really, that's that's the only thing that stands out to me, other than maybe Tyjon Lindsay jumping into the starting the starting lineup full time. Okay. I think that he's really progressed this fall and. Um, he has ran a ton with the ones down the stretch because the coaches have really noticed that um, he's taken that next step. And I, we actually talked to him after practice this week and he said that he feels like a totally different player out there. So look, look for him to make the, maybe make that leap. Um, but offensively, other than that, I think it's pretty much chalk, so to speak. And then how about defense? I mean, there's, you talked about so many injuries. What does the defensive line too deep look like to you? So right now, as it stands, I've got Simon Sandberg kind of sharpied in at one spot. I think that's the one constant on this line. Thomas Seo is probably a starting, I, I think he's in the starting lineup. You know, it's, it's just hard to tell because he is so inexperienced at the defensive tackle position, but I thought that he performed well enough in camp to earn a starting job. So if, if Oregon State goes with three down linemen, he's in there, I, I think. If they go with two down linemen, Look for either Tavis Shippen or Cody Anderson to fill in uh, at, at the other side for Isaac Hodgins. Awesome. And then linebackers pretty pretty much set. Um, secondary pretty much set. Do you, do you think we go as do we see as much nickelback this year as we've seen? Well, it's it's less so set than it was a couple of weeks ago because the injuries, the injuries. to yeah. Jaden Robinson and Elijah Jones did throw a wrench in things. It it means that your cornerback depth is not where it was two weeks ago and where it, it looked like two weeks ago, this was, you know, a, a group of four starting caliber corners, uh, but losing Jones and losing Robinson definitely hurts. So you'll see Ron Harge move over to cornerback. And to answer your question about the nickel, that does play a role because Harge was um, taking a ton of snaps at nickel. And so with the loss of Alton Julian at safety, that's forced Jaden Grant to move to safety and then, you know, where are you at nickel? You're, you're at your third guy. So potentially less nickel with the current injuries. But if Julian gets back into the lineup for week one, I, I think you see Grant move back to that spot. What about Winston Russell? Is, is he purely a nickel or have you seen him play elsewhere? A little bit at safety, uh, but mostly at nickel. So if, if Oregon State does go nickel and Julian's not out there, I, I think Russell would be the guy there. Got it. Great, great stuff. Beaver fans, I hope you um, listened closely to that because that is some really, really good information right there from Carter Baines, who was at 16 of the 18 practices. So he knows what he's talking about. Hey, Carter, you want to have some fun? Yeah. Are we doing predictions? Should we do some season predictions? That's, that's the best part of the week one pod is, is the predictions. Yeah, I, because we're going to Going down the line here. and answering questions and predicting games. I mean, this, this is why this pod in particular is one of my most favorites to do every year. So, yeah, we're going to start with just some season predictions based on the team. And then, and this will be a little more like kind of like our, our, um, our quick hits that we do throughout the season. And then we're going to go game by game and we'll talk about that. But I have some quick hits for you that I think, I think you're going to be ready for. And, and it's been perfect because some of the things you've talked about, I think fit right in, like talking about the running backs and leading by committee. So our first First question is who will be the Beavers leading rusher in 2021? You know, it's funny because as, as I kind of looked through the rundown that you sent before the pod, I said, in most years, that is a very clear cut answer this year. It could be one of three and I'm going to go with Deshaun Fenwick, uh, Deshaun Fenwick, even though I think that he might see it's, it's, it's hard because I think that you're going to see big play potential from Trello and BJ Baylor, but you're going to see more like, just more consistency from Fenwick. I think that he'll give you four or five yards every time he touches the ball. So I'm going to go with him as the leading rusher. Okay. Uh, and but, will... but, but the fact that there are so many carries to go around means that this could very easily go one of three ways. Okay. And so you pick the Sean Fenwick. Will he rush for over a thousand yards this year? No, no, not in this three man committee. I just don't think there's enough carries to go around really. Yeah. Okay. Stick sticking with the offense. Who will be the Beavers' leading receiver? And this is the second toughest question because <laughs> of the depth at that position. Um, I've just seen so many guys run with the first team that I couldn't even tell you who's going to start, let alone lead the team in, in receptions. I think going into fall camp, I would have said Treshawn Harrison, 
but the emergence of Tyjon Lindsay, I think has cut into his playing time a little bit. Um, and so the two, the two for sure starters that I see on this team are Zariah Beeson and Trevon Bradford. So I'll go with one of them and maybe give the slight edge to Bradford just because of the consistency we've seen year in and year out from him. So does it make a difference who the quarterback is? Do you think that might come into play? Honestly, I don't think so. Okay. I, I just think that, yeah, no, I, I, I think that I don't think the quarterback plays much of a, much of a role in who's going to be the, the favorite. Cause I don't, I don't think that there's really one connection that stands out. Okay. Um, you know, whereas like a, a Jebbia Lindsay, maybe in the past or a, a Luton Hodgins stood out as like this go-to connection. I just don't think there's one of those on this team. Yeah. I mean, this year really does feel like we don't have a, a, a year where we had a, a standout receiver kind of like running back. I mean, it's, we don't have a Brandon cooks or a Marcus Wheaton on this roster. We have several guys that could be that guy, but not the marquee. Um, and that's, okay, so, that's not a bad thing. No, that's it's certainly not definitely not. Um, okay. Third hardest question for you. Okay. It's kind of a two-parter. Who is the starting QB this Saturday and does he finish the season? So Neuer starts week one, in okay. my opinion. I, okay. I just think that looking at the total body of work that we've seen throughout fall camp, he had the most complete camp from start to finish of, of any quarterback on this roster. Um, Chance Nolan maybe was the more impressive down the stretch. Uh, but when you look at the full 18 practices, Neuer by far uh, capitalized on his opportunities the most, I think. But does he finish the season? That's where it gets really tricky. I think if Oregon State is winning, you know, and if, if they're 500 at the midway point of the season, they probably stick with Neuer. With Neuer. Uh, but if there's a disappointing loss in there or two, I think you pull the plug and, and maybe go with Nolan just for the upside. Okay. Um, how many are, will the, sorry, end of season, how many points per game did the Beavers score? I'm going with 31. So that's four touchdowns and a field goal per game. That's pretty solid. That's going to have you in basically every game you play. Um, although that could be a different story, depending on how the defense progresses. We'll, we'll see on that. Uh, but they averaged 28 and a half last year, which was right around middle in the conference, uh, slightly on the, slightly on the bottom half of the conference. Um, but if they average 31 this year, that would probably put them on that five or sixth rank in the conference. And I think that's about right for this, for this team. Cause I do think the offense is just in general, deeper and more experienced than it was last year. Okay. Well, that that's my question. Then will the, will the Beavers offense overall offense rank in the top half of the pac 12? So, I do think so, think so, but okay. yeah, it, it's going to be, it's going to be close though. I just think that when you look at some of the top offenses from last year, I think offense is going to be up for most of this conference. I, I, I just think it's going to be, I think it's going to be up across the board, save for maybe a Stanford. Uh, Cal should be better. Yeah, Stanford's the only one that comes to mind um, as, as somebody that, that could regress there. But um so if, if offense is up across the board, that just means Oregon State has to improve by more than the others. And I think that is possible. Okay. Um, will the Beavers average over 400 yards of offense per game? Yes, that is, that might be the second easiest question on here. In, in my opinion, they averaged 417 last year, which was fourth in the Pac-12. Um, and if, if they really are better this year, then they should improve on that. Moving to the defensive side, who will be the Beavers' leading tackler in 2021? This is the easiest one for me. I Avery Roberts, and I think that speaks for itself. Yeah, I think that was that's a, that was a pretty easy one. Um, will the OSU defense intercept more passes than the offense throws? No, but it should be close. I, I think the quarterbacks on this year's team, in general, have had interception problems in the past. Um, you know, Tristan Jebby is at about a one-to-one -one ratio touchdown to interception. Neuer, of course, I think was six touchdowns, seven interceptions last year. And Nolan had a couple of picks as well. So I, there, there are going to be turnovers. This isn't like a Jake Luton offense where, you know, the offense just holds the ball all game long. Um, but the improvement in the secondary that I, that I touched on earlier should lead to more interceptions. And I, I've seen more takeaways in camp than I've seen in any practice you know, slate that I've, that I've seen while I've covered this team. Okay. Here's one for you. Will the Beaver defense keep opponents to under 400 yards per game? 
I don't think so, but that's not necessarily a knock on the defense. I just think that it's so difficult to do that. Um, looking at last year's totals, only four teams in this conference held opponents under 400 yards, and I don't think Oregon State is a top-four defense in this conference, so I have to go no there. Um, that would require 43 yards per game improvement from last year. I just don't see that happening. Okay. Will uh, total defense in the season ranked in the top half of the Pac-12, though? Similar to the, the answer to that one, I don't think so, but I do think that there will be some level of improvement from this defense. So they'll be closer, uh, but they were 10th last year in, in points against and yards against last year. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, jumping four spots is probably a little too much to ask for. Um, can the Beaver D hold opponents to scoring under 30 points per game average? Again, no, but probably closer than last year. Okay. Who will lead the Beavs in interceptions? This could go, this could go a lot of ways too, but I think the improvement that we've seen from Rajon Wright um, is, is enough for him to, to lead the team. You know, it's, I think you kind of have to go with a corner just by nature of the amount of passes they defend. Uh, but if, if a safety were to lead the team, I'd go Katano Ladapo. He, he's been, he's really improved his on-ball defense uh, th- this off season, but I, I just think that Rajon Wright's going to see more passes to him. So I'll, I'll, I'll go with Wright. And if, if Rajon is picking passes off, the defense is going to be fired up because if that turnover chainsaw is in the hands of Rajon Wright, look out. Um, and will the Beavers make a bowl game? This is the question that everybody wants the answer to, right? Yes. Um, and they, they all I, want the yes answer, but can you go there? I'm going to give it to them. Really? Yeah, I've, I've, this is a bowl team, in my opinion. Okay, okay um, well, I, you I, might... I won't. I won't I won't give away my record because I know we're going to do the game by game. Yeah, I was going to say because now this is we're going to we're going to jump over here and do your game by game. But so bowl bowl team, okay. So just a quick shameless plug here because we haven't done it in a little bit is make sure if you're not a member of BeaverBlitz.com, you join. Um, we would love to have you in our community at the lodge. That's where you'll find all the latest insight and discussion on the Beavers. We do live in-game chats, uh, great questions. We have Q and A's and mailbags and chat times. So definitely join. Um, it's a perfect time to join Beaver Blitz. Okay, Carter, wanted you to have a chance to get a quick drink of water because we are going game by game. Ready? I'm ready. First up, Beavers at Purdue. We are, we're, we're going right down the list here, just like you did with the old pocket schedules. W or L, what are we doing? This is going to be, man, this game is just so hard to get a read on. I'm going lost here, but I think it's, it's a one possession game. One or two plays are going to decide the outcome of this game. And um, I, I think both teams are just in such a similar position that a win is, is very big for whichever program gets it. I, I think a win in this game for either side, could potentially be the difference between whether they go bowling or not. And I know I said I had Oregon State as a bowl team, but I, I, I think I, I just have to give this one to Purdue by by a by a slight margin. If the okay, so just a quick question then: If the game was played at Reeser, would you feel differently? Potentially, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah I, I could sit. I could see this being like a three point game. So, yeah, that that could swing me to to pick Oregon State if it was at Reeser. Okay. Hawaii at home. That has to be a win this year. You know, when they, when they lost at at Hawaii in 2019, I think we were still in that period where we were like, okay, we'll give them a pass. Smith is still getting his feet wet here at Oregon state, but especially after what the way the rainbow warriors played at UCLA, that has to be a win this year. Okay. So I'll get, I'll give that one to them. How about home against Idaho? that's a win. And if it's not, we got big problems. Yeah. We've got some issues, (laughs) but you can't say that now, because if you remember Sac state and that team had issues. So (laughs) you're right. Okay. (laughs) Then the beeves hit the road for the Coliseum and at USC, they have not won. I believe they have not won in the Coliseum since 1962. Is this the year they get it done? 
Probably not. No, I, I think this is one of the more talented teams that USC has had in a long time. Um, and while Oregon State is known for knocking off a highly rated USC team, it's one thing to do it at Reeser. It's another thing to do it at the Coliseum. And uh, of, of course, the Beavers haven't done that in 60 plus years. I don't think this is the year. That Neither that of our lifetimes, Carter. Neither. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Washington. This is, this is tougher. You know, Washington's a very good team. I think they're going to potentially even be better than they were last year. Oregon State gave them a scare last year, um, but there were some circumstances at Washington. You know, that was their season opener, uh, night game in the rain. This year it is at Reeser, but I do think that Washington is still the better team. I'm giving this one to Washington. Okay. How about the Kooks? Talk about a program with a lot of storylines right now, right? Yeah, like yeah. this, this just seems to be the team that nobody has a great read on. And, and probably that's because a lot of their storylines have been off of the field things, uh, you know, with Nick Rolovich and, and the vaccine and then uh, Jane Delora and the DUI. I, I think there are just so many chaotic things going around this program that um, I, I, I wonder how much, that will play a factor on their on-field performance. Maybe none, you know, may- maybe this team's very good at blocking out distractions, but even if it is, I just don't think that they're good enough to finish above the fifth or sixth mark in the, in the North. And so this, this is probably a conference game that Oregon state should win. And I'll give the Beavers a W here. Delora too. Speaking of that, not only did he have the, the DUI, did you see where he had been like wrestling? I did not. Yeah. He was like, like drunk wrestling, I think. And I don't think the coach was real thrilled with that either. Luckily he didn't hurt himself, but they do have a transfer quarterback. Jarrett Garantano comes in from Tennessee, lots of sec experience. One of the most talented passers that Tennessee has ever had. So uh, that, that could be Garantano's job regardless. Okay. Here's always a tough one. Utah. That's a loss this year. I I'm pretty high on this Utah team. Um, I'm high on a lot of Pac-12 South teams, but it's pretty hard to discount Kyle Whittingham and just what he's been able to do over the last few years. And, and really since he joined the conference, um, Oregon State has played them tough in the past. You know, there have been a lot of tight games. Of course, last year's went down to the wire, but uh, Utah top to bottom is is the better team in my opinion. So I'll give that one to the Utes. about Cal? That one's close. You know, I, I think Oregon State and Cal are going to be battling for probably the three, four, five range of the North. Um, and Oregon State got them last year. They've gotten them two years in a row now, I want to say. Um, and it seems like Oregon State doesn't have much of an issue going into Berkeley and coming away with wins. So if Oregon State wants to, wants to go bowling this year, I think that has to be a win. And I'll give it to them. Okay. How about the Buffs? Colorado, I believe that one is on the road in Boulder. Yeah, an- another road game. And this is the, the only back-to-back road game stretch on the schedule for Oregon State. So a little bit of a grind, you know, playing at elevation, playing two games on the road in a row. But um, I, I question if last year's 4-2 and two record for Colorado was really a true indication of how good of a team that was. I think they had a, you know, they benefited from maybe a lighter schedule. They're without their starting quarterback now, of course. Neuer comes to Oregon State. I'll take the beeves on the road. Okay. I don't know if that's an upset or not technically. How about Stanford? Beeves haven't beat Stanford in quite a while. So speaking of streaks, uh, it has been more than a decade since Oregon State beat Stanford. But I'll, I'll put you on the spot here. Do you know how many of those games were one possession games? Oh, I think all of them, weren't they? There were a couple that were not. Okay. I'm trying. I, I mean, I, I'm thinking, I mean, there was that one at Reeser what they had like the three calls that went and I mean, they kept throwing at the same tight end. And I mean, then you had, yeah, there's been a bunch that were like came down to the wire. Yeah. I'm hoping that you'll ramble here a little bit as I'm pulling it oh, up. Okay. okay. So here we go. Here we go. Here. I, I've, I've got it. I was going to so say, you put me on the spot. <laughs> so 2020 was a one possession game. Okay. 2019, 2017. 2013, 2012, and then they won in 2009. So that's about half of half of the losses have been by one possession. And two of them 
were potential wins that were fumbled away last year being one of them. And then the game uh, where Ryan Null had Ryan that Null. fumble. Yep. So yeah, I mean, Oregon state has come so close that in a down year for Stanford, as I expect this to be, this has to be the year that that streak finally ends. And it's at research. So that helps. Yes. And so that's a, that's a W. Yeah. Yeah. I've got Oregon state winning that one finally. And that marks by the way, on my predictions, a three game win streak in the conference and it gets them to six wins in October, November. So, and it would get them to six wins for a bowl game. There you go. Okay. How about the fighting Herm Edwards? (laughs) This one's tough to predict and it shouldn't be because ASU should be a much better team than Oregon state this year. ASU could win this conference. Will Herm Edwards be the coach? I was going to say, I mean, talk about Washington state and they're off the field issues. How'd you like to be ASU right now? I don't even know how many coaches they have left right now, actually. Yeah. There's a couple on administrative leave, a couple of position coaches on, on leave right now. It just depends on how much, how, how hard the NCAA comes down on them. If at all during the season, I don't know if the NCAA would do that during the middle of the year, but it certainly could. And you could see some more developments as the year goes on. So if that staff, if that program is in shambles by the end of the year, Oregon State could very easily win that one. But uh, if, if the Sun Devils are firing on all cylinders, I think they're a, a dark horse contender. Maybe not even a dark horse, maybe you know a, a very true contender to, to win this entire conference. So you're going with an L on that one? Yep, that's that's a loss in my okay. opinion. I, then, I just I just can't bank on yeah turmoil. You you can't bank on the NC2A doing what, anything. Oh. So, um, and then last game of the season is a game that I still refer to as the Civil War. So I will refer to it as the game formerly known as the Civil War. The fighting, gonna, the fighting ducks. There you go. I'm I'm gonna spare. I, I know a lot of our listeners don't want to hear a whole lot of. Uh, negativity around this game so i'm just going to spare them the time and just call this one a loss and we can move on okay so you have them at six and what is that seven no six six and six six and six yeah. going to a bowl game yep okay so i'm going to put you on the spot this is not on our rundown but who plays for the pac-12 championship oregon represents the north washington could push for that uh, I think the head-to-head Oregon-Washington could serve as kind of a de facto semifinal game, Pac-12 semifinal game. Um, I just think that Oregon's too talented to not get there from the North. And, and the South is just so hard to get a read on right now because UCLA looks really good. Utah is always a contender. ASU, as I said, if, if everything's going well for them, they're going to be in the mix. But for the sake of the conference's health, for the sake of Clay Helton, I, I got to go with USC. I mean, I, I don't think you, I don't think you can not pick USC when you look at their roster. Now, will they get it? You, you, would, they get you it? would say that, and then you realize that Clay Helton is their coach, and then maybe you think <laughs> otherwise. But I'm with you. No, I, I'm, I'm totally with you because that is the only other team in this conference that has, you know, a, elite level talent other than Oregon. Hey, but. Am I wrong? I, I actually root for Clay Helton. He seems like like this totally nice guy. I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I wish that he had more success than he did because I think the Pac-12 would be in a much better situation if USC was contending for the playoff every year. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm kind of quietly rooting for them to have a big year just because I think the Pac-12 needs it right now. Right on. Right I think, on. I think you knew I was a, a back in my younger days. I, I loved USC. And I know that we have a, you know, a, a listener out there with some USC ties. So yes. Not dropping yes, any we names, do. But. yes. And like I said, Todd Brinovich met him, Derek Deese, Todd Brinovich and Ezra Tuwalo got all their autographs somewhere in my house. I have them. That right was when I was decked out in this, my Cardinal and gold. I this was is like, a USC pod from now on. Yeah. I, I, I think I was like, <laughs> yeah, it's like eighth grade, but things change. And now, but I, I do have a soft spot. I, I can never root for UCLA ever. Um, okay. So speaking of UCLA, this is totally off, off script here, Carter, but did you see, and I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't knock it because I haven't seen the research crowd yet, but it was an embarrassment, the crowd at UCLA. So the announced number, I, I, I think it was 36,000. Yeah, no way. Yeah. Not there's even no close. Chance. It that looked is like, inflated. 
by a substantial margin. Like it looked like 5,000. And, and I thought that, that the crowd was small when, when I was there for the Oregon State UCLA game back in 2019. Uh, this was, yeah. It looked like a and, spring, and, spring game, spring game. So, so let's put this in perspective. So I, I tweeted out a picture from the press box in 2019 and this account that like retweets empty stadiums picked it up and, and saw it and made a comment. <laughs> if they had seen what the Rose Bowl looked like yesterday, there would have been no need to retweet what, what I posted back then. Cause this was, if, if Reeser is that quiet this year, then ugh, no home field advantage for Oregon state. I, yeah, I was, I was kind of appalled because I, I, I was curious to see what, um, you know, we're in this pandemic and what crowds would look like. So I, I started the morning with Illinois and Nebraska, which, okay. Talk about again, going off the rails a little bit, but Martinez, Nebraska's quarterback, he has 20 interceptions and 16 fumbles. Ouch. And that's more inter- or more turnovers than games played. Yes. He's been there 36. for three years. 36 years. turnovers. Ouch. No wonder Nebraska fan is angry and just pissed off right now. Um, Sorry, Scott Frost, but yeah. you might be on the but, hot seat. But so that game was what started. I was kind of watching the crowd and I was like, okay. I mean, it wasn't full by any means, but there were fans in the stands. Yeah. And then you flip to that UCLA Hawaii game. Whoa. Embarrassing. Come on, Pac-12. You got to do better than that. Carter, anything else to add on this game week? You want to, you want to preview what, what do you have planned uh, for this week? Coverage wise at beaverblitz.com. Yeah. I'll pull up our content schedule as we speak, put that together yesterday. Um, I mean, Beaver Blitz is going to be the place to be during the week. Every single day, we've got tons of stuff lined up. Uh, let's see, here we go. Monday, top performers from the game before Angie and I will do our, he said, she said feature. That's always a, a, a really fun one for our VIP members. So another plug, if you're not yes. a member, join Beaver yes. Blitz. You're not going to want to miss. He said, she said, that's one of our favorite things to do. It's kind of like the pod only in written, po- written format. Exactly. Exactly. And we, we've had a really fun time with that over the last few years. Uh, we're going to do mashup breakdowns. Tale of the tape is back. Uh, we'll have staff picks every Friday, the SmackDown from Peter and Raju, the trench report, potentially I'd, is is Peter has Peter confirmed that he's doing the trench report this year? I will just make sure he does. You know, right. when he's available. So, yeah, and that's, that's another that, fan favorite. Yes, because if you're if you're anything like me, I love learning about line play, and it's the hardest position in the whole field to judge is how well the offensive line plays. And Peter, being a former offensive line, he breaks it down for us. Yeah, so that's like I said, a, another fan favorite. We'll post the weekly depth chart to the site. Uh, we'll do some stat breakdowns. Angie, I know in the past you've done your by the numbers thing. Tale of the tape is very statistically oriented. Um, and and Carter then of course, is a numbers all guy. kinds of, yes, that is, that so is for you, sure. Yeah, so it's fun. Um, and then of course, game day, we'll have live updates, post game breakdown. Um, and then of course our game thread in the lodge is the place to be on game day. It is. It's basically like sitting in your seats at Reeser with all of your friends right next to you. So you can like complain about a play. You can complain about a call. You can share a play. And I, I think we'll probably be bringing back the, um, the Coletto drinking game. <laughs> it was kind of a, which, we, which official, we won't be partaking in, in the press yes, box, but we don't, we don't participate in it, but it was kind of the funny. Every time Coletto came in offensively, it was Coletto. And that, that ASU game, I think there were a lot of blitzers who were a little, yeah, yeah. might've been, might've been reeling a bit by the end of that game. (laughs) Like I said, Carter and I do not partake. We have a level head and uh, we keep the peace a little bit, but no, it's fun. Um, Definitely join the lodge at Beaver Blitz on game day. It is the place to be Um, home games. um, Carter will most likely be kind of before game wandering around. If you have a tailgate right near the stadium, make sure you reach out at us and we'll kind of feature a tailgate and swing by and say hi. Um, and that's, you know, actually I'll, I'll put that out there just kind of on the spot, a, an idea that came to me. If, if you are a member of the site and you've got a tailgate that you want to invite us to, we'll, we'll give you a shout out, you know, either in the lodge or on Twitter or something, you know, we're always, we're always looking for something to do before the game. So that, that could be a fun thing that we start a, yeah. you know, a featured tailgater on the site. Grab a picture, tweet it out, 
Yeah. Be kind of fun. We, we have, I, I know of one tailgate that we typically, a couple, actually a couple blitzers have invited us in the past and gosh, we've tried some good food, some, some good drink. Gotta have gonna, a vegetarian option for me, but that's, Carter's vegetarian. that's beside the point. I was low carb for a while too. And yeah, well, there's been some great things. I, I could, I could name drop a couple things that we've, we've tried. We've sampled throughout the, the years. Um, but yeah, I think that would be a fun, and I, I will post a thread at the beginning of home game weeks for that. Um, and yeah, join Beaver Blitz Purdue this week. Super excited that we are back to normal as we have been in a long time. And, uh, thank you for listening to the damn podcast. We will be back next week with another episode on Sunday night.